This podcast of Out to Lunch is made possible by FSC Interactive, an online marketing agency specializing in social media, paid search, and search engine optimization. FSC-focused smart communications empowers customers to take control of their online brands. More at fscinteractive.com. Smart is their middle name. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. A few years ago, for most of us, startup was a verb. It was something you did to a car. These days, it's a noun. A startup is a new business, typically based on a new and untested idea. One of the toughest things about a startup, the noun, is the verb, starting it up. The main obstacles are figuring out the best way to go about it and how to pay for it. One place startups turn to start up is an angel investor. Having an angel investor is kind of like having a successful uncle who believes in you enough to give you some capital and guidance. Mike Eckert is vice chairman of the Nationwide Angel Capital Association and chairman of the local NOLA Angel Network. Mike has had some experience in starting up companies. Among them, he started the Weather Channel and was their CEO for 14 years. Mike, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, once you've got your startup started, the next big question you face is, how do I grow my business? And that's where Knud Bertelson can help. Uh, Knud's New Orleans-based company, Connect and Trade, specializes in selling to places that most small businesses ignore, the 216 international markets outside the U.S. that are not China. Knud, welcome down to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Mike, I know you moved to New Orleans to retire, but judging on how tough it's been to find a date that you're free for lunch, you don't <laughs> seem to have slowed down very much. Uh, um, as an angel investor, you're in the fortunate position of being the first to hear about potentially big ideas. Uh, I guess on the other hand, I'm sure you hear a lot of ideas that are somewhat less than big. Uh, the most fundamental question you must have to deal with every day is how do you decide what's a great idea and what's not? Uh, Mike, is it a hunch or is it some sort of scientific method? It's both, but interestingly, science does participate, at least formulaically, relative to how we assess a particular opportunity. We look at things like management. Um, has the management started a business before? Are they a serial entrepreneur or are they green? Uh, we look at the market. Is, 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 the, um, is the product or service targeting a, uh, a, a burgeoning market, a new market, um, or is it is it entering a market that is saturated, uh, and and that uh, th those the answers to those questions indicate uh, how much it will cost to enter the market, pricing, competitive sets, and the like. We look at the technology or the solution itself. In fact, is it innovative at leading edge, or is it repetitive, um, or, or is it um, uh, uh, taking an existing solution and putting a twist on it? All of those, the answers to those questions implicate cost, capital, go-to-market strategy. Now, is, uh, you've been doing this long enough where 
is when you see a new idea, does it always remind you of some, something it's similar to or a similar problem that you saw before? Well, often we will, we will see uh, opportunities come to us that have been developed already. Ironically, I was on the phone this morning. I received a phone call from, an from, from a representative of, of an entrepreneur who had a great idea in a, um, in a uh, alternative energy space. And, and, the, and this representative was positioning that this was the latest and greatest and new and improved. And I know this person very well. And I indicated to them that I, have, I had seen about five opportunities like that about four years ago. And then the market was saturated. And that unless this particular idea um, had particular competitive advantage for the end users, likely it wouldn't be a good idea to move forward with the business. And then when you, when you look at these, Mike, um, I mean, are there, are there sometimes where you find something that is truly a new idea or do you, do you think they're all kind of add-ons of, of other, other businesses? It's both. I mean, uh, since I've been in New Orleans and, and we put this angel group together, we've seen a number of opportunities that were um, new ideas, quote unquote, game changers. And I know you're the, yeah. you're the entrepreneur in residence. Uh, well, well, when I, I moved to New Orleans to be closer to family and grandkids, um, uh, brought a series of experiences in starting businesses, investing in businesses, a fellow at Georgia Tech's Venture Lab, working with incubators and accelerators. I became involved with the Idea Village here and led last autumn its um, inc accelerator program. Uh, and that exposed me to the New Orleans early stage ecosystem um, which which um, was shouting for an angel investor network. And, and I spoke to some people, and that led to our putting the network together. Um, uh, an early-stage ecosystem has three parts to it. It has the entrepreneurial assets, the companies, the entrepreneurs, the ideas coming out of colleges and universities. It has the enablers, which are the accelerators, the incubators. We have uh, uh, Idea Village, Propeller, 4.0 for Education, uh, the New Orleans Bioinnovation Center. We have programs at the universities here in New Orleans. There's a lot going on in Baton Rouge. Those are the enablers to help the entrepreneurial assets become fundable. And then, of course, at the other end of the spectrum, we have the capital, who are the early-stage investors, primarily angel investors, who will put capital into the businesses but also bring um, mentorship, Rolodexes, guidance, board seats, things like that, to help the companies in which they invest grow. Now, Knud, selling to foreign markets or exporting is something we typically think a company does after it's already successful at home. But today, with the worldwide reach of the Internet, it's easy to understand why that might be an outdated paradigm. Uh, uh, even though we can reach foreign buyers, we still need to decide which non-Americans might actually buy my particular product or services, which is where you come in. Uh, how do you determine whether I'll do well in Switzerland or Fiji? <laughs> Well, first of all, 95% of consumers live outside of the U.S., and there are millions of people out there with as much money or more than American consumers, uh, and you can reach them using Google and Facebook and a lot of the same tools you're already using domestically. Now, to pick where you want to go, some markets are just better than others in general, right? We're looking at size of population, GDP, Internet penetration, obviously, is a as a big thing, and practical things like will, will FedEx ship there? Will PayPal accept payment from there, right? Um, so that's a good starting point. In addition, there are 20 markets where the U.S. has free trade agreements. So that would always be easier than any other market, right? Um, 
But at the end of the day, even though you have some markets that are just in general very good and others that are pretty bad, it all depends on your product, the specific product that you have. So if you know something about your existing customers for your product domestically, we can take that information and we can recreate that audience in another country. And then there's some common sense, right? So, you know, a lot of the Gulf states are good because your free trade agreements, there's a lot of money. If you're selling bikinis and booze, maybe that's not where you want to go. These are the right? other Gulf states, not Alabama. Right, the other one, right? yeah. <laughs> and then if you look at the opposite side, you know, Greenland, it's not a great market. You know, not a lot of people really far from everywhere else. Now, if you're selling snowmobiles, maybe that's something you want to look into. But the most important thing is once you've narrowed it down to a handful or two of countries that you're interested in, you can actually go from assumption to data very easily by, for instance, running the same Facebook ad in 10 different countries and see how the markets react to it. Give me an example, maybe without naming a name, but a, but a, a company or a product that you've been able to take from its domestic base and you know, push it internationally. Well, we did some work recently with a, a hair product uh, that was very popular domestically, had I think over a, a million Facebook fans, uh, and based on that we were able to sort of pinpoint what they had in common and recreate uh, those audiences in other countries uh, and combine that with the data of which countries are better than others sort of in general, give them uh, a nice little list of, of uh, countries to target and also answer some questions they had about the countries they had maybe assumed would be the, the logical next step. Uh, and based on data, we were able to say, maybe not. And that, that owner is uh, uh, oftentimes he or she just not really thinking internationally? You know, I think everyone is thinking internationally, but acting internationally is, is much harder because most people think that it's very hard. And it used to be very hard, just like it used to be very hard in general to, to get a product, uh, develop it, and bring it to market. And it's not anymore. Uh, and that's even more true for international. It used to be incredibly hard, and now, in some cases, all you have to do is put it on your website, make sure you accept PayPal, have FedEx come pick it up, and start targeting your audience. Now, Mike, um, one of the questions that uh, when I told people you're going to be on the show, a lot of people had said, make sure you talk to them about this, is that it's right that until recently, there was a real problem with getting venture capital or that kind of money in New Orleans. Is, uh, uh, has that really picked up? There are a number of um, high net worth individuals in town who will, on an ad hoc basis or will form kind of dinner clubs or country club groups to invest in, in startups more uh, almost on a philanthropic basis rather than a sophisticated deal process as an, a formal they might sophisticated not really angel. They think they're going to get a return. Yeah, they, they may not expect a return, think they'll get a return. Quite often they don't, but they're doing good things for the market. Um, with with, with a, a, a group like we, this New Orleans Angel Network, which I patterned after a group that I had built in Atlanta, the Atlanta Technology Angels, which became a top 10 angel group nationally. And as you noted, I sit on the board of directors of the National Angel Capital Association, so I'm able to benchmark the best of the best in the country. We've taken those, the best ideas from those groups and used that to form our angel network here. So we've brought more capital into the market. Now, Peter, I think that will be good because we will create more capital and more enthusiasm for um, investing in early stage deals. But there's another layer related to your question. That is what happens after the angel investor layer, and that's the venture capital layer. And there really aren't any true former venture capital firms 
uh, national-based formal venture, formal venture capital firms in New Orleans. The closest are in Atlanta. Most are in the West Coast, Washington, D.C., or in the uh, New York, uh, New England corridor. And Mike, help me, where do you get to venture capital? Is a certain revenue level? Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a revenue level, it's a cash level, it's a sophistication of the business model level. So most venture capital funds would not invest in, in a deal in which angel investors would invest because the risk is too high. And again, venture capital funds, in fact, are funds. So the venture capitalists leading those funds are responsible for the people who've given them the money, the limited partners in those funds. So they are more scrutinous. They are more conservative. Um, they're probably more conservative now than they were 10 years ago or seven or eight years ago. There have been different um, ebbs and flows of risk aversion on the part of venture capital funds based on general economic activity and the economic climate and the regulatory climate, I might add. Yeah. Wow. Now, can you, let me ask you, uh, when, when I talk to people about international, now everybody immediately just turns to China. But one of the things I got from reading your pieces is that that isn't necessarily either the whole picture or the best place to be. What, what is it? Are people, are Americans over-fascinated with China because of the size, or what is it? Not necessarily. China is a very large market, and it is growing, and there are a lot of good things to be said about China, but it's not necessarily easy. We've done all this work making our database of all the different export markets and which ones are good and which ones are not so good. We find that there are a whole lot of markets that are closer to America, where they speak English, uh, where internet penetration is higher, where the cultures are more similar, so and, and where there's just a, a less competition. When you talk about why Facebook is great, Facebook is great, sure, because it is the largest audience in the world, but as a marketer, it's great because I can use it to create the smallest audience in the world, which is the people I have every reason to believe, based on data, would be more interested in my products than anyone else, and I can find those in other countries. And, you know, one thing I hear about, from, actually from the students, they, a lot of them want to go into this data mining, uh, big data. I mean, Where's that going, and what is it about? It is pretty impressive. Today, anything you do, it generates data. What we find with a lot of our clients is that they are unaware of all the data they actually have. Uh, they may not know that they can go into the back end of their website and find out where people are coming from, that you can see what did people search for that brought them here. Right? When we set things up, we can find out who are the people who buy your product? Who are the people who go to your website and then they don't buy it? How can we reach them again and what will persuade them to buy? So there's, there's so much data out there. We went from a situation where you know, marketing was mostly assumptions to now having this wealth of data. And, and the trick right now is to find, you know, in this jungle of data, find the right stuff um, and, and analyze it and use it. But Peter, uh, there's an intersection between your two interviewees okay. on, this, on this point. As a very attractive vertical segment that angel investors look at is, is generally called big data, the cloud, and SaaS, software as a service models. And, and, and within these are various types of business models that are helping companies collect data, information about their users, their customers, whatever, organize the data, create technology that helps the, the companies uh, uh, look at the data, parse it, and make better business decisions, and then store the data and make it easily accessible 
for future decision making and analysis. It's a gigantic space. Uh, I, I guess euphemistically it's called big data, mm -hmm. but there are subsets under it, and, and it's everywhere. And more to come. Oh, much more to come. Yeah, yeah. And there's, and there's some very interesting opportunities there. Pardon me, go ahead. Sorry. Well, there's actually a lot of interesting comparisons between startups and existing businesses. On the one hand, um, existing businesses have a lot to learn from startups. So when, when, when Mike here gets a business plan or you know, a pitch deck, it will say things like, you know, we're going to reach the world markets, we're going to find our users here, this is how much it's going to cost us to acquire a customer, all this goods data stuff, right? And a lot of existing businesses, they don't do that. Right, they do what they did last year, which was what they did the year before. Um, and there's a lot that they can learn there. On the other hand, they have a benefit uh, as opposed to startups because they already have a product. They already have customers. And when you have those two things, I say you're already two-thirds of the way to success in international markets because you can find out who in other markets are like your existing customers. Well, Mike, Knud, uh, I want to take a minute to introduce uh, you to Justin Cray. He's our, he's our new guest over here. We, we met Justin through 52 businesses who, like Mike, uh, specialize in uncovering entrepreneurs in the early stages of development. And Justin's entrepreneurial idea is called Interrupt. Uh, we don't know much about it here, to be honest with you at this point, but uh, I'm going to give Justin one minute to tell you about it. Uh, then I'm going to give you each a chance to ask Justin one question, a question that you think he'll need to be able to answer to move the business forward. Uh, Justin, give us your pitch. All right, well, thank you, Peter. Uh, this, is, uh, this is my board game that I've been working on uh, for about a year, and it's a relatively simple game. Um, it's oh, got well, nobody brings games. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> It's, <coughs> it's essentially a block game, which is about creating a connection between opposite sides of the board. And I can show you just some of the pieces here. <laughs> each of the pieces have different colors and different sizes. So we've got a lot of squares and rectangles and different colors on a, That's right. on a board that uh, is marked off. Okay, so give people a little visual here, okay. Um, the game starts with a blank board, and you can, there's actually a lot of games embedded within this format, but the basic game is to create connections between opposing sides, and players will essentially race to block or interrupt each other as they try to con create connections. Um, and you can, you know, play with two to seven players. It can be a relatively quick game or a long game, depending upon the agility and sort of ability of people to strategize in 3D. And what, what game would you compare it to, I guess, Ed? You mentioned seven. It's an interesting question. Um, it's sort of a, a combination of, I guess, Tetris, Go. I don't know if you're familiar with Go, the Chinese game, and maybe something like Blockus. Canoe, do you want to start? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, I, you, I have two. Your questions. eyes are wide open. Yeah. So I know this is. Well, first of all, I'm curious if you've uh, considered Kickstarter for this, where you get mm -hmm. you put it out there, and 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 people who like your idea can pay for it up front, and you can use that for development. Uh, and the second would be if you're familiar with the game Cards Against Humanity. Mm -hmm. Very different game, but I would take a look at how they uh, launched it and marketed it and see what you can learn from that. Thank you. Yeah, I have a friend I'm working with on developing a Kickstarter and also mentioned Cards Against Humanity as their Kickstarter model. Great. So, thank you. Mike? One question. What's your go-to-market strategy? When you say go to market, could you define How that? How are you going to sell it, and to who are you going to sell it, and what will the channels be? Right, well, this is actually one of the questions I had also, <laughs> which I, um, was how to essentially take uh, an innovative idea and market it 
you know, make it into a product that people are suddenly willing to say, they go, aha, this is a neat idea, to be like, oh, I want to buy this. You know, that seems like a leap of logic for me. And it's something that I thought maybe you guys had more experience. Well, well see, this is, this is where, again, I was speaking about that three-part continuum. So what we have here is an entrepreneurial asset, this game company. Um, it need, the, the company, the entrepreneur, needs guidance from an enabler a program and an accelerator, an incubator, um, finding mentors in the marketplace. Maybe not a formal accelerator, incubator, learning experience, but someone who understands um, distribution of products, to uh, gaming products, game products to consumers. And someone who may be able to help you think through that. Mm -hmm. Pricing, channels, distribution, how you're going to get it out there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Justin, thanks for coming by today and uh, with your bag and, and, your, and your game. Uh, we look forward to following your progress uh, with Interrupt. Uh, we're going to stick around for a little longer after the show and talk some more about Interrupt. Uh, you'll be able to hear the rest of our conversation with Justin Cray on our website, itsneworleans.com, in addition to seeing the game, which will be, which will be helpful. Uh, Mike Eckert, uh, Knud Bertelson, New Orleans was already a great place, but it is a greater place for having both of you guys move here. Uh, Mike, I guess we can thank your grandchildren for having the good sense to be raised here and dragging you here to be with them. And Knud, we, I guess I have to thank the Tulane MBA program for attracting you in the first place. Uh, we're sure glad you're both here, and we appreciate your many contributions to the changing world of New Orleans business. Thank you both for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Great to have great you, Mike. Great to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been uh, Mike Eckert, Vice Chairman of Angel Capital Association and Chairman of the NOLA Angel Network, and Knud Bertelson, CEO of Connect and Trade and author of A2A Marketing, How New Technology Lets Anyone Market and Sell to Anyone Anywhere. You can find out more about Mike's Angels and Knud's opportunities by following the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. The show is recorded recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Chris Keogh. Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. And you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's neworleans.com and www.no.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. Information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at PreSonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments.